Nico. And I'm Jessica. And this is the Always the Critic podcast where a couple of friends review the latest movies, except we literally have zero qualifications to do so. Jessica, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. I had my favorite shrimp rolls from HelloFresh tonight. So <laughs> it was like the first meal that we ever had from HelloFresh. And now we are here a couple of months later having it again. And it's just like the best thing. I don't know. Yeah, I remember the first time you mentioned it here yeah, on the man. show. And it, it now it's good. been... Now it's been an entire like, yeah, you know, cycle full right? circle because now they're like throwing it back into the menu again. Right. Yeah. So, but other than that, just watching a lot of K drama. Been really active on the Debak account, ATC Debak Pod, and I can't wait for some more guests to come on. I know that it's a little bit disappointing that you can't be co-hosting for season two, pretty much at all. But <laughs> it's been a roller coaster of emotions with the shows and reviewing them and just meeting new people. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, I've been able to listen to the episodes and they're a lot of fun. So uh, hopefully I can uh, join you again once my schedule gets better, hopefully sometime in the future. Have nothing, have no promises to that, but we'll see. Uh, (laughs) Okay. So uh, we do have, not one, but two movies today that we're going we to talk about. We are doing a double feature. Yes. It's been a little bit since we've done one. But before we do that, uh, I wanted to reference really quick uh, The Ringer. They did Rom-Com Week last week. Uh, <laughs> you and I are pretty passionate about this subject here at, on our show. Uh, to the point that we did our own episode where we did the Rom-Com Hall of Fame here and so uh for those who haven't listened obviously go back and listen on our podcast feed but what we did was we had to decide who were the eight men and women who really are what we think about when we think of rom-com so these would be the initial eight who got in and so of course there's like the common names like julia roberts and meg Meg ryan tom hanks so I, I wanted to mention something really quick because the ringer did something kind of in the vein of what we did. And so what they did was uh, the history of the kings and queens of the rom-com. And what they did was they broke it down by era. So they kind of went all the way back to like the 30s and 40s and like they mm-hmm. they who were the kings and queens of that era. And they declared it uh, Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. Oh, okay. I was thinking Clark Gable possibly, but right. Cary Grant. But they, they definitely made a Cary Grant only because like when you look at all the movies he, he did in that time period, it all has like that, you know, very fun <laughs> back yeah. and forth. And Catherine Hepburn was right there with him. Uh, mm-hmm. Then they skipped over to like 50s to 70s where uh, there's a little bit of a dry spell in, in certain parts of that time frame. But they ultimately give it to... Um, Audrey Hepburn okay, at that time and Rock Hudson, which I am not as familiar. I, sh- I don't I haven't watched many of his movie, if if any, actually probably haven't seen any now 80s and 90s. This is kind of like where we entered with our rom-com episode mm-hmm. uh, because we didn't really go that far back when it came to rom-coms only because we kind of had in our heads like the modern rom-com kind of started. Yes. In the 80s. Yeah. So, you know, they have some candidates of who, you know, Meg Ryan was a candidate. Um, 
Billy Crystal, although he only has one movie in there. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, Tom Hanks was a candidate, Bullock, Grant. Uh, but they gave it to Julia Roberts as okay, the queen yeah. of the rom-coms for that 80s to 90s period. And they gave Hugh Grant the king, okay. which they both made our initial They both list. made our Hall of Fame, yeah. Now, here's the fun one, the, the 2000s. Oh, Lord. Uh, so, like, candidates... <laughs> The waters get muddied in the they 2000s. They do. They do. So Matthew McConaughey, Kate yeah. Hudson, Mark Ruffalo, which Mark I... Mark Ruffalo? Yeah, but if you look oh, at it, yeah, view true. from the top, 13 going yeah, yeah. on 30, just like heaven, yeah. begin again. Like, even though that one's not as much of a rom, but still. Jennifer Garner, Queen Latifah, sneakily. Oh. If oh. you look at her movies, kind of in that vein... Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Lopez, Julia Stiles also. Oh, my God. Who did they choose? They chose, uh, for the man, they chose Matthew McConaughey. Okay, yeah. Which makes the most sense. For the woman, which I don't think we considered her in our list, Jennifer Lopez. I said her name for sure. You said her name probably. 100% I I threw out her name and I made a case. Because listen to the movies she's done. She's valid. She's valid. Wedding Planner, Made in Manhattan, Gigli, even though that's a terrible movie, (laughs) Monster-in-Law, The Backup Plan, Mm -hmm. What to Expect When You're Expecting, Second Act, and Now Marry Me, uh, all the way now. Yeah, she's So she's prolific. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention that only because uh, when they get into the 2010s, they don't even name stars because all of the movies, they just name movies because like- rom-coms go through the dry spell mm. so they just mention what like the top movies of that time period were crazy stupid love in yeah. 2011 silver lightning's playbook which again i, I have oh no i, have I don't even consider tough, that a rom-com yeah exactly by any stretch then they skipped to 2015 for train wreck uh oh, the true. big sick in 2017 long mm-hmm. shot 2019 so yeah, there. Th- it's a weird period that rom coms are in. I can only hope that they get better. You know, we're we're in a uh, we're in a weird time. Netflix kind of has the lane of. I've rom-coms. said this. I said this before. Yeah. Yeah. And now we just get rom coms on Netflix, and it's so special to have them come out in theaters with actual bankable stars. So exactly. Yeah. Would you say uh, that? The movie from a couple weeks ago, uh, The Lost City, is that a rom-com? Yeah, that's a rom-com. Okay. Then they, yeah. they do mention it as a way to start the 2020s. So, oh. so we'll, <laughs> we'll see. All right. So I just wanted to mention that also. Go ahead and check out our episode on that. The That was a lot of fun that we had. Uh, they also had a top 50 rom-coms of all time. Jeez. Num- number one, obviously, When Harry Met Sally. When Harry Met Sally. Yes. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so check out our episode. Check that out if you're a big rom-com fan, obviously. Now, today, the movies that we're going to talk about are nothing about rom-coms. They are in completely different directions. Uh, so <laughs> let's go ahead. And before we get started, though, if this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe to your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. And if you do like us, go ahead and give us a review on Apple Podcasts on Spotify, five stars, Goes a long way for us. 
Come and check us out on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews. You can find us on the Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at AlwaysCriticPod. And if you're a fan, please consider becoming a patron. It's a great way for you to get involved and show your support. You can check out the page on Patreon.com slash AlwaysCriticPod. All right, today we are going to talk about the new film by Robert Eggers, and that is The Northman. Uh, Jessica, can you tell us what the movie is about? The IMDb synopsis reads from visionary director Robert Eggers comes The Northman, an action-filled epic that follows a young Viking prince on his quest to avenge his father's murder. Yes. Now, this movie is co-written by Robert Eggers alongside Sion. I think there's an accent on the O. Yeah. So S-J-O-N yeah. is the spelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not 100% sure, but it does star Alexander Skarsgård who plays Amleth. Uh, we have, rounding out the cast alongside him, Nicole Kidman. We have Clace Bang. We have Anya Taylor-Joy, Ethan Hawke, and Willem Dafoe. Uh, this is the second <laughs> Willem Dafoe movie for Robert Eggers. He yeah. was in The Lighthouse. Also, this is the second movie for Hawk! Anya. Too. I had to. <laughs> You're just like, what oh, do I do wow. with her? Yeah, man. Willem yes. Dafoe was was the lighthouse. <laughs> he, he was the lighthouse. Uh, also, the second movie uh, by Anya Taylor Joy. She was in The Witch. The Witch. The Witch. Uh, so, this movie did. I mean, it was not a strong weekend at the box office. I I really wish. That it would have been stronger because this movie did make $12.2 million domestically. I believe that was good for number one, if I'm not mistaken. Was it? Oh, okay. oh I, I got to double check that. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I could be wrong. Uh, but $23.8 million worldwide. Uh, Jessica, mm-hmm. how did it fare with critics and audiences? So it's currently sitting at an 89% Rotten Tomatoes critic score. And a 67% audience score. The, yeah, the critics consensus reads a bloody revenge epic and breathtaking visual marvel. The Northman finds filmmaker Robert Eggers expanding his scope without sacrificing any of his signature style. Yes, you can definitely say that. And just (laughs) to, um, you know, what I said just now about the box office, the Northman was good for fourth place. Uh, the Bad Guys came in first, followed by Sonic the Hedgehog and then Fantastic Beasts, The wow. Secrets of Dumbledore. So, and then the next movie that we're going to be talking about later came in fifth. So, okay, uh, not the strongest of weekends for the movies that we're talking about, but I think that these movies are definitely different than what we're typically seeing, at least recently. So, with that said, let's talk about The Northman first. Jessica, what do you think about The Northman? Uh, look, I I don't know what to say because I oh my god. This was on my most anticipated movies of 2022 list. I love Alexander Skarsgård and I just thought that this was going to go a little bit more of the straight path, I guess. And and I don't know why I thought that because it's Robert fucking Eggers. Like he is always going to do something really off the wall. 
I'm more surprised just, that you thought it was going to be. I don't know what the hell movie. I was expecting, but it just wasn't this much like religion and hallucinogenic and trippy. Like literally everybody in the movie is tripping balls the whole time. <laughs> and I honestly, it was a little bit like it was unnerving, but in a good way because I was like, this it is what it is you know what i'm saying like there's no avenue for me to be like yeah it it shouldn't have been this way like it just was like this was the original intent and vision behind this movie and like i gotta just respect the i mean robert eggers and what he what he wanted to convey in this movie i wanted a little less of it but it just i mean it it was always going to be this way i don't i don't know how i'm even talking right now about this movie because i ended up leaving the theater with an incredible migraine and like i think i blocked a lot of the movie as well because i was just like in pain for like the latter half of it but just jump in whenever you feel like it like this is feeling to like a terrible like first few words coming out of my mouth about the northman all right it's not a bad movie it's just weird so let me uh, actually say something. This was not Robert Eggers' final cut of it because apparently it went through a lot of studio interference because it was going to be even more insular than what the movie kind of already feels like. If, if you've watched the movie, um, being well-versed in North mythology helps a lot. If you are. Um, yeah. So not being well versed in it. I'm not a person that watches all the Viking content no, that is everywhere at the I. moment. So I came in kind of like, I don't know, so like a freshman. <laughs> let me let me just read this really quick. This is from okay. an interview from The New Yorker. Um, Eggers, basically, he admitted to studio intervention. Mm. And so... Uh, quote, I think I delivered the most entertaining version, he said. The most entertaining version is not necessarily something I usually uh, am striving for, but it was hmm. here, you know, and it happened. Uh, Eggers praised New Regency, but described the editing process as the most painful experience of his life. Ew. Quote, frankly, I don't think I will do it again, he said, even oh, if it means no. like not making a film this big ever again. And by the way, I'd like to make a film this big. I'd like to make one even bigger, but without control, I don't know. It's too hard on my person. So Yeah, because he's an auteur. He is an auteur. We have to mention that because he's up there with Tarantino and Spielberg. And like, I don't think that he likes being told no. Like, it's it's his way or no way. I think I would really, if, if there's a comparison to make, him and Ari Aster kind of yes. have like these... Very like they have they're fraternal a twins. To me, they're fraternal. They're twins. fraternal twins. <laughs> they they have visions for their movies and what they want the movie to be about, what they mm. want it to portray, and they I do their research. Yeah, they do their research. They they're, love the process. They love the details. And so, in a movie like this, which I'll go ahead and say, I think this is a very good movie. Uh, although there's. I think my my <laughs> here's my biggest issue here is that What's your I think gripe? the the plot itself is a little thin in terms uh-huh. of this is just a revenge story and that's pretty much it. You're not really getting too much 
of a plot that really has intricacies. Not really. I mean, sure, there's some, I would say, mm-hmm. I would supernatural say elements. Yes. Uh, that Which he loves. Like, Robert Eggers loves that. He does. Like, muddying the waters of what is real and what is not. Yes, he does. And I did find myself being uh, very entertained by some of the, I guess, not main plot thread, but actual n- the North mythology where visions and different things that were happening uh, mm-hmm. in between what's what's real in the movie. Uh, I found myself entertained by that. But I think it might come down more to what the plot has Alexander Skarsgård doing uh, and also kind of Alexander Skarsgård in a way because uh, – have you had a lot of experience with Alexander Skarsgård? I've had a little I bit. Not a, I, I, like I can't say that I've watched True Blood. That I know okay, that's where a lot okay, of people know Okay, so let's pause right here because I watched True Blood. Right, I know that's where a and lot of people know him from. He was a vampire who was so old he was a Viking, and his name was Eric Northman. So this is the second time he's playing a Northman. Second time. <laughs> second time. Um, I think I stayed around in the movie because of Alexander Skarsgård and like he was fully committed right to the role he bulked up for the role his body is like a just he's just an absolute unit in this movie right a giant man and I kept saying that to my sister she's sitting directly next to me and I was like he's just so big he's just massive how did he do this and I think that's a testament to I think we've seen this a lot in like Marvel where they just jack themselves up for a role. That's true. And for him to do this on basically a sort of an indie movie, I don't think it's necessarily indie, but it feels that way when you're watching it. Uh, Don't tell the budget department that spent $110 million to make this movie. (laughs) I see where they spent $110 million. They went to Ireland and they like... Oh yeah, for sure. You know, Robert Eggers is gonna, you know... Make what he wants to make. Right. He's going to Robert Eggers. Yeah, he's going to Robert Eggers. Um, he's here, the verb at this point. So here, here's my thing about it. I I can't say that I can remember a Skarsgård performance and think, oh, that was good. What? Or memorable. Like, I've seen him in okay. stuff. Don't get me wrong. But um, I think he's flown under the Hollywood radar for a while. And it's only people that have watched... True Blood that True are like Blood are, is, Alexander Skarsgård is definitely one to keep an eye on. Yeah, but the thing is, uh, True Blood ended in 2014. And yeah, I know. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. Really, like, done anything, you know, like substantial since. Uh, I yeah, mean, he True was Blood in- was his basically Harry Potter, and now he's doing the Daniel Radcliffe thing, and he's not truly concerned with. Like, cause I feel like he could definitely be in a Marvel movie just like his dad and like make the big money and get the appeal from the masses. Yeah, he can. I feel like that's definitely on the table for him, but he doesn't seem too interested in doing that. No, I, I, it's not more of that. I I don't think of him making. Otherwise, you would be saying a different. That's not what I'm talking about. Otherwise, I feel like you'd be saying a different thing and being like, "Oh yeah, Alexander Skarsgård, he's amazing because you've seen him in all these things." No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about him being a star. Like he could be a star. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about. I'm saying he is a star. (laughs) I don't think he is a star. Fine. I don't think he's agree to disagree. Greatest actor. 
is what I'm saying. You don't think he's the greatest I think actor? He could he could do in this movie. He he does one thing well, which is that brooding. Um, but again, the movie. What are you talking? The about? movie doesn't allow he's him. He's using to do his that. whole body to scream and howl and like chomp at the bit. What I'm saying is that this movie doesn't allow him to really do a lot. It does allow him to do, of course, like the brooding and the physical nature. There of the, is not of the film. a lot of dialogue. Yeah, that's in this movie. that's that's another problem. And with I the think movie. That's, that's what, what you're I'm missing. Saying. That's what you're missing is we don't have the level of dialogue that's like in The Witch, for instance. Yeah, we which don't. is like all dialogue. Yeah, and that's what I think. <laughs> and comes, in dialect as well. That's what I think comes the problem with the movie is that because there's such a lack of dialogue, it kind of hampers the you know the different roles and not only his role but also you know the uncle's role like there's not enough there there's not enough even in Anya Taylor-Joy's character so since the dialogue is so limited and so small it kind of puts us in a point of well we really have to rely on either the charisma that they give off or the uh whatever you know feeling or emotion they're supposed to give off on camera you know that's what we have to rely on and that's the only thing we can rely on and it works in a lot of moments but i just think there's just times where it just feel like it'd be nice to see a little bit more from the characters because like okay, i have to disagree and i didn't even love 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 this movie <laughs> right exactly i mean i mean i think I probably liked it more than you, most likely, but I still have that criticism where I wanted more from the characters. I wanted to see like more of a vulnerability. I don't think it was the characters. character's fault. I really think it was a plot it's, thing. Yeah, that's I know that. I, I, I do. But I think my bigger point is this, that even in a movie like this where maybe dialogue and plot are not as big to allow for an actor to show range – there are actors who have been able to take a role that's limiting and still be able to play around in it. And I don't know if Skarsgård is all the way there. He's great in the physical, but... I really don't agree with you. Okay, that's fine, but... <laughs> You're like, he's not all there because he doesn't have dialogue and he's not a the Wicca and he's not chewing up scenery and he's like... I'm like, no, man, he was chewing up scenery. And yeah, I think that in, yes. he has a quiet strength about him that truly comes off in a lot of his roles, including True Blood and including, I think, talking about not being a lot of dialogue, he played like a mute man in a movie called Mute, which was a Netflix original with um, the ageless man from Ant-Man. What's his name? Paul, Paul Rudd. Do you see how I remember him in my head? Anyway, um, yeah, Alexander Skarsgård played a mute person in that movie and still was like very endearing and you're like rooting for him. So I don't think that you're like necessarily into Alexander Skarsgård's brand of acting, but I am. Yeah, I'm not. Punto. There it is. There it is. So, Boom. yeah, but uh, let's talk yeah, about because though. I think she has. <laughs> you are wrong. No, no, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, man. Okay, fine. So uh, let's talk about Nicole because she is also credited, I think, top billing. In yeah, this but like she doesn't have too much to do, but she does have a pivotal moment. She sinks her teeth into one of the final sequences mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, my God, because it was very twisty at the end. Yes, it and was. And she totally kind of 
leaps off the screen a bit. Like she you're does. just like, oh my god! Like you're very um, into her character at that moment. I don't have a lot of experience with. Is it Clay's Bang? Is that yeah, his Clay's name? Bang. Yeah. Neither do he I. reminds me of like a Mads Mikkelsen. You know who I kept thinking about when I kept seeing him on screen? Not that he was giving a performance like that, but Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh. Like, I I could have totally seen, like, if you put Daniel Day-Lewis there, like, I could have totally seen it happen. Uh, Mm. But, yeah, you're right. He is not someone who is well-known here in the States because he is a Danish actor. Uh, He is... Obviously, when you go to his IMDb, he is known for this now, and it it just came out. But he's also known for uh, The Square, which was a movie that won uh, the Palme d'Or at Cannes a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And he was also in the bad remake, unfortunately, of the... um, the girl in the spider's web, which was like a continuation uh, of the girl in the dragon tattoo uh, mm-hmm. from 2018. So he hasn't been really in in too much here in the United States. He's definitely done some more stuff uh, across the pond. So uh, but let's see if he starts getting a little more roles here and there. But, yeah, I th- I think that his his the nature of his character is pretty much you know, one dimensional, but for a purpose, for a purpose of true, he has to be the antagonist. He has to be the driving force for Mm. our protagonist to go after. Um, Yeah. Anya Taylor joy. Can you see anybody else playing this role? Like, cause I, yeah, I know. Honestly, like I was like, it's like, she's this, which character? Yeah. I don't know what to call her. I don't know what to call her either. Like, well, her na- her character's name is Olga of the Birch Forest. And she even and like, she, has a monologue, like talking about being yes. one with the earth and like talking and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe I'm not as much of a um, hippie, for lack of a better word, to kind of be into the whole like tripping mushrooms kind of aspect of the movie. But yeah, Anya Taylor-Joy kind of felt like she had fun like doing this. Uh, I hate the age gap between Anya Taylor-Joy and Alexander Skarsgård because as much as they're both beautiful people, it's a 20 year age gap between them. She's 26 and he's 46 and I just have to throw that out there. I don't care if you think I'm a prude. I don't care. Like, it really unnerves me. And I will point it out every chance I get. So there you go. Yeah. I, at this point, I, I don't care. <laughs> I yeah, don't. I know you don't care. Yeah, a lot of people I, don't care. I don't. If, if it's too good looking people, I don't care. <laughs> uh, so uh, we have two other people in this movie. We have Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe. Uh, they really were able to just like come in and just like, Hey, you want to work for a couple of days? Because they are not in this movie for, for very long, especially Willem Dafoe. <laughs> Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe is in like, is in two scenes. Like I counted them. There are two scenes with this man. And one of them is like quickly, like if you are not looking, you know, directly at him, you won't realize it's him. And then the other one is in this insane scene, uh, involving Ethan Hawke. And the child actor who plays um, Amleth. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 
so these guys obviously, hey, you know, Robert Eckers, yeah, I'll come in and I'll do a couple of days of work. Why not? Rico, would you recommend this movie to people? Would I? Um, not to everyone. I wouldn't <laughs> recommend it to everyone. This is not a movie uh, where I'm like, go out and see it. You know, like no. preaching it out like from, yeah. from the rooftops. But if I understand like certain person's movie taste, I would say, yeah, go ahead and, and check it out. I think if out. you like Vikings, yes. Yeah, if you like Vikings. Go watch it. If you love Alexander Skarsgård, yes. Yep. If you're a fan of Anya Taylor-Joy, definitely watch it. If you're a fan of Nicole, don't watch it because I don't think that necessarily Nicole Kidman diehard fans are going to be like, wow, this is like something that I really want to see Nicole in. It was better than whatever she was doing in the Ricardos, so... Uh, anyway, uh, so I thought you were gonna say the AMC. Oh, I, no, no, no. That, that's been <laughs> when some you of started her best talking. I was like, couple days, a couple years. Oh, so, God. um, yeah. So I under if I understand a person's movie taste. So if you did like the Lighthouse, if you did like the Witch, if you are a fan even of Ari Aster, or yeah, if you have like a tendency to, if you're an A twenty four, A twenty four. I was just about to say, if you then are a fan, watch the yeah, I would check out the Northman because it does have that similar vein of not so conventional storytelling, um, you know, getting sidetracked into, you know, mind bending visuals. Uh, I think visually this movie is <laughs> I just keep blinking beautiful. like I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, like a hostage situation, like blink once. Uh, <laughs> It gave me a headache. Okay, go. But I will say, though, this movie was beautiful to look at. I think True. it's it's the scenery, obviously, is just wonderful. I think the use, the good use of the cinematography, like the coloring that they use, the coloring on the on the movie was very well done. Uh, again, the visuals are very good. So overall, a good movie. If I had to give it a grade, uh, I would go ahead. I would give it a B. Because again, okay. there's stuff that was missing that I wanted. I think more. I was on a B minus, maybe C plus. Okay. Like if I'm thinking about how it made me feel in the theater, probably a C plus. But now looking back on it, maybe a B minus. Okay. Because I like the craft of it. Yeah. It's a very well done movie. I heard somewhere, I don't know where I heard this, but that it's the most accurate Viking movie ever done or like really? viking thing ever done i don't know if that's true or not but mm. it certainly seemed bonkers enough to be true because <laughs> this is like you just haven't seen this kind of dedication to i think the mythology that they believed in right. at the time and that's all we'll have to say, I think, before getting into spoilers, yes, I assume. Exactly. So what we're yeah. going to do is we're going to get into spoilers for The Northmen right after this. The greatest trick. Houston, we have a problem. I am the father. I see dead people. The devil ever pulled. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Was convincing the world. You can't handle the truth. He didn't exist. Oh, what's in the box? All right, so let's discuss spoilers for The Northmen, a story about a man who is set on revenge on his uncle for killing his father. And yeah, it's like a Hamlet story. Mother. Yes. Um, I think it's a very, a, a very simple revenge story. 
Um, yeah. Where we follow the main character on his journey to go seek out the uncle who betrayed his father. And, okay, so here's yeah. the one thing that I really didn't like about the story is that you have this amazing sequence of them in the past. This is like all the shit that goes down. They kill Ethan Hawke's character and they implode the family. They presumably steal the queen because she's seen like kicking and screaming as they like drag her out of this like weird makeshift castle in medieval, t- not even med- medieval before that even. And you have this time jump and in the time jump you find out that Alexander Skarsgård's Amleth is now like a free roaming Viking essentially and through the grapevine he hears that the kingdom that was stolen from him by his uncle is no more like he basically lost it to like the Norwegians or something yeah they they lost it and then his whole like clan up and left and started becoming sheep farmers in Iceland. And so I was like, that is so anticlimactic to me because I want for him to go back and seek revenge and gain a kingdom, like a real ass like thing, a prize. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. Get back that like valor and esteem. Restore the the family name. Yeah, restore the family name, and that never happens in the movie. Like, he fucking goes to the sheep farm to exact revenge, and you're like, it's a freaking sheep farm. Like, at this point, he's just going back for his mom and possibly any blood half-sibling that's there. Right, and then, just to make matters worse, the mom basically concocted the entire thing. Okay, but that's the very, like, well, that's yeah, a that's, twist at the end of the movie the is that he finally has his moment with his mom where she's like, oh, you're alive because she thought he was dead. And instead of it being a comforting, touching reunion between mother and son, she gives this buck wild story where she's like, I wanted you dead. I gave the OK. I wanted to be with um, your uncle because he actually, you know, loved me, treated me right, whatever. And that Alexander Skarsgård's Amleth was a child of rape because she was also part of the system and was like a slave brought to whatever kingdom that Ethan Hawke's character had. So Crazy. she's just like a spoil of war battle yeah, or whatever. Much. So, yeah. And then, and then she also kind of had, there was like an undercurrent of like, uh, female pleasure and uh, because she was like he tolerated me he didn't really want me yeah. and um, you know your brother his brother like and she kind of like breathed a certain way and like she kind of made it seem like he was like wooed her and like wanted her right Vers- versus versus like she was a, a sex slave yeah right exactly so yeah it was nuts like that final sequence was nuts and then she and ends then up like she, she insinuating even, yes. that like she could be you know, alexander skarsgård's queen which is in like it, the incest part was like through me like completely through me i mean if you she see, full-on kisses him if you watch game of thrones it's nothing <laughs> well hush up like people who to this day will never watch game of thrones yeah no. me am a little more <laughs> taken aback by incest it still was like i was in my seat gripping my (laughs) armrest when she was like leaning in i was just like please don't kiss her please don't kiss her please don't kiss him oh she did yeah um yeah so 
Yeah. So yeah, it, it is a she little. She was being bit, very manipulative. Yes, yeah, she was at that point, and I still don't know how much she's like embellishing the story. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I don't know. So I think I. She was I definitely agree. loyal to the uncle. Yes, she was. I agree with you on the fact that it is a bit anticlimactic that he's not going to regain, you know, power or anything like that, because that's kind of that's what they lose. Besides, obviously, he loses his father, who he he adored, and he he loses his mother at the time uh, Mm -hmm. to his uncle, but he loses a kingdom as well. So. So, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you that. The fact that that's not even in play anymore from the mm-hmm. f- early on, yeah, in the in the middle of the first act, I was like, oh, we what? already know that he's not going there to get a kingdom. He's just right. going there basically to kill his uncle, and that's it. Right for to fulfill that promise that he made to, I think his father. Yeah, yeah, he he swore to the father because the father he swore to the father to do that. Yeah, yeah, the father to avenge him. Yeah, and stuff. to avenge him. Uh, I want to talk about Anya Taylor-Joy's kind of plot because at the beginning she is kind of introduced as just like another, you know, bartering chip in slave labor. Uh, But she has, I don't know if she has like these mystical powers or she is one with the earth, but (laughs) she, she does have something and she can... She doesn't quite believe in the exact same thing that Emleth does. Yeah. She has some sort of different connection and like, I don't know. He doesn't, he's like, what is she saying? Like, what is Mother Earth saying? And she's right. like, well, so she's kind of like a, I want to say a witch or maybe like a, some sort of shaman type p- person for her village or maybe not for her village, but she just does have that connection. Yeah, that he doesn't have, and then he she seems to be worshiping worshiping a different god or no sake. Yeah, they they don't don't really, um, yeah, they don't really get into the details as to what Mm -hmm. exactly it is, but she does she definitely has something else going. She has herbal knowledge though, yes, because she's out here plucking magic mushrooms, right, of the Alice in Wonderland variety. Exactly. And she, she's like, you know, ready to go. Like she's armed and ready to make people trip balls and commit suicide in the middle of the night, in the of <laughs> which the is night. exactly what happens in and the final sequence. With that, we see that um, Amleth later on when they're on the boat, like they're like running away. Yeah. Like he has a vision, like he can vi- envision what's about to happen. And it's like she's about to have twins. Like she is pregnant. I don't know how that happens. This is unexplained supernatural phenomena where right. maybe what they're worshiping or like what their connection is, is somewhat real because, and Robert Eggers loves to do this, especially with animals, right? Like mm-hmm. you had that like sneaking suspicion in the witch that black, black Philip is the devil. And like at the end you're like, Oh man, all this like bloodshed and carnage for like what? And then all of a sudden it's proven true. Like spoiler for that. Spoiler for the witch. Yeah. But you're like, oh my God, like all that was legitimate because Black Phillip is the devil. And so you have that moment also in the lighthouse with the seagulls and like the freaking mermaids and all that crap that he put in there. And in this movie too, he does have this like supernatural proxy in the form of those like 
crows or yeah. ravens or whatever they were, who ended up being like the spirit of Ethan Hawke's character, yeah. King Arvindil, who like, at, you know, once he gets on the farm, the they have that scene of like Nicole Kimmon like trying to shoo away all of like the birds that are surrounding their he- home heap that's in the ground. Yeah. And at the end, they tie him up. They tie Emleth up and like leave him kind of halfway dead. And what frees him from his bonds is like a bunch of crows or like, I don't know. They're just large black birds. I can't I don't know the difference between like a crow and a raven. raven, But, you know, that truly did happen. Like there's no doubt about the fact that he was freed by a bunch of birds. Exactly. So like he was. Working what the together. hell possessed the birds? Yeah, like that had to be part of this like mythology or like lore that exists within this this community. And then just to bring it back a little bit in the movie is mm-hmm. after they pillaged the village, um, Skarsgård. Anya Taylor Joy's village. Yes, that that okay, village. Okay. Skarsgård goes into a building that it's already been burnt down, and he has a vision of like this Bjork Bjork first off <laughs> it's Bjork uh but she is like supposed to be like some type of goddess with no eyes but she can see everything uh-huh and yeah. has a full-on conversation like with Skarsgård's character and yeah life. she starts prophesying like what's gonna happen where he should go who he should meet in very vague terms obviously of course can't but- just give it to them no, you can't just you can't just give him like the names, answers and places. Come on. No, no, no. <laughs> but you know, she gives him some stuff that he can go off of, and truly, that scene again, like, is part of this supernatural bit that Robert Eggers likes to throw in because it it could be that he's drunk and like is just seeing crap and hallucinating, or it could be that this oracle is real. I think Robert Eggers wants you to err on the side of it's real. Right. <laughs> in all of his yeah, movies. In all of his movies, he always has that sense of, is this really happening? Mm-hmm. You know, that type of thing. I think it is. Yeah, I think so too. I think there is a sense of there's some type of reality there for sure. Right. Um, so the movie. What'd you think of Bjork? <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, what would you think of Bjork? <laughs> Bjork, I mean, it's a crazy character that comes out of nowhere. It's a crazy character. But in the realm of the movie, totally makes sense. Like, it makes sense. I like what they did with her voice because she wasn't just, like, speaking, but at the same time, it seemed like she was whispering. Yeah. And so that effect of, like, layering the the vocals was, like, very unnerving and kind of scary. But at the same time, you're like, I want to hear more. It's somehow very comforting as well to hear the whisper in the background. Um. I love the headdress and like how they like put her together. I was just like, yeah, this is really good costuming. And like me. the the dangling shells that like would mm-hmm. cover her eyes where yeah. her eyes were because yeah. you can't see her eyes. And it, it it's insinuated like they were like taken out or because it's like black. Yeah. Right around her eyes is black. And yeah. but these like dangling Avoid. shells that like take place of what, what her, where her eyes would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's super unique character design uh okay now we can move on now uh so the entire movie kind of leads to the prophecy of meeting at the gates of hell which is there's a volcano on this on this land listen 
I thought that meeting at the gates of hell meant like we were going to delay satisfaction, delay the revenge until we were all dead and we were going to like fight in the afterlife. And like, look, that is not the case at all. Hell is a real place and it is the base of this volcano (laughs) that's in Iceland. And I was genuinely surprised. I was genuinely not seeing it coming Mm -hmm. that the final sequence was in inside a volcano right pretty lord, much. lord of the Rings style and i mean were they that alone nude? they were fighting nude. they were 100 right? they were insinuating that they were fighting nude yeah obviously the actors were wearing like little like tangas yeah yeah, yeah. but <laughs> they were fighting in the nude they were they were like this is like olympian style <laughs> like you know yeah i totally got nuts that. greek vase style <laughs> It was. Uh, Buzz. <laughs> I do like that they basically foreshadowed this this death earlier on, but in, in a different way. The, it was when he got rescued uh, and he's basically on a, on a horse and a Valkyrie is riding him uh, out and they jump off a cliff and it's still flying up to like the pearly oh that gates. was a great sequence though i thought it was beautiful and that was a great but sequence. it insinuated my sister still thinks that there's braces on the valkyrie that <laughs> dental like braces no, that was the doncha that was the uh the, <laughs> that was the hook and i was like helmet. no no homie not that i'm not talking about that literally her teeth had like little oh um it was like two lines on every tooth. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it not looked dentist. like braces. It's not braces. It's not braces. Not. But you could I don't blame you for thinking it, it is that it is braces. She swears that it was braces. I'm like, no, it was like painted on or something, like like a marker, just two lines on every tooth. <laughs> yes. But the traveling up to like the pearly gates. That was all amazing. It was. And so then we get, you know, we actually get the satisfaction of once he uh kills and at the same time is killed uh by his uncle like they both take that stab at the same time pretty much he cuts off his uncle's head and his uncle stabbed him right through like his chest mm-hmm. so they both die and then we get that final image of the valkyrie riding talking into- about the valkyrie riding into valhall or valhalla, valhalla. i mean they didn't say valhalla they said yeah. like valhall yeah they'll, but- they said valhall it reminded me of like the wheat in Gladiator that keeps oh. like it's like a recurring thing, right? And it is foreshadowing his death, and he sees it like when he's like bleeding out and crap like that mm-hmm. at the end of the movie. So that to me was a very similar sort of thing where you have this warrior who his job isn't done, his revenge isn't done yet, but like he's gonna die, no question. Yeah, he is. Um, did you six? Did you six? Oh, I can't even say it. Oh, it's Suspect okay. It's okay. that he wasn't going to make it out of the movie alive. Absolutely. Yeah. I The movie started and I was like, he's not going <laughs> to. He's not, not going to live. It. Who thought this was going to have a happy ending? Uh, good question. I have no idea. Uh, because I, he was going to sail off to like some other European country with a pregnant Anya Taylor Joy. Like I'm like, there's no way yeah. that he's not finishing this. I walked in thinking. No way he makes that in the movie alive. And the yeah. movie just keeps reinforcing it pretty much throughout. Like, oh, this guy is just seeking his death. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he he wants to go out in, in a blaze of glory. Pretty yeah, much. exactly. That too. Yeah, and then on and then finally the whole like, oh, he's gonna have kids. Oh, he's definitely not gonna see his kids. <laughs> yeah. Born. So yeah, so this movie. I, I again I enjoyed the movie. Is it his best? No. Robert Eggers, I mean, is it his best movie? I don't movie? think this is it's Robert Eggers' best movie. I think it's one of the better movies of twenty twenty two, but yes. it's not for everybody. It's, it doesn't have mass appeal. Mm-mm. It's very strange. Uh there's at one point like <laughs> Ethan Hawk is uh burping and his son is farting. <laughs> farting yep. to like ensure that or just to signify that they're human and not beast in this like strange ritual that goes on in a hut with a half naked <laughs> Willem Dafoe. I mean, this is all uh, like not even exaggerating that happens in the movie. That happens and in the movie, yeah. I yeah, no, know, like, I that's I the that's the kind of thing that I'm like, I don't know if I can like get behind that and like buy the Blu-ray on this one, Robert Eggers. I'm sorry, because it's like it is such an experience to watch it, and I almost feel like it's a one and done kind of thing. I can see that. Um, um, if yeah. you are going to watch this, I, I do recommend watching it on the big screen. I think this is a movie mm. that deserves it just be, just by the visual nature of it. Um, and then I did watch it in Dolby, even though like I asked you. <laughs> because i said i kind of watched i said it, no yeah. you don't need to watch it in dolby we watched it in amc dine-in and again like the sound design was incredible it was very loud as well in the theater and we both left hurting because i had a migraine my sister had a headache it was something it it was uh but yeah i would say if again we already listed what type of movie it is and uh, what if we didn't? Oh my God! We didn't talk about the whole sequence of like him fighting this like dead Viking. Oh, because that was like my favorite sequence. That was actually a really good sequence. So I love that sequence. So the it reminded sequence, me of the Green Knight. Actually, yeah, it did. It did. Right? It did. Yeah. So he goes to uh, get the sword. The sword. Yeah, that this has enchanted been, sword. This enchanted sword. It, it does feel like a little bit of King Arthur in a way. Yeah. Um. So he goes, and when he it's sitting this is in the after, lap. This is after we saw Willem Dafoe's severed head talking to him. Right. So. That he needed to get this weapon in order to be able to use it. <laughs> to fulfill his destiny. To fulfill his destiny. Uh, so he arrives to this location that it has a knight sitting, but it's it's a knight that's been dead for who knows how long. Yeah. And in the lap is the sword. Mm-hmm. So when he goes to reach for it, the knight hangs onto the sword and wakes up. So it's like a decrepit yeah. uh, skeleton inside of knight's armor. And but it's giant. Giant. If, if I said Alexander Skarsgård was a giant, this dead knight yeah, thing at least like was Goliath. And, yeah, yeah. And starts, you know, hitting Skarsgård. He sends him flying across the room. And and so, but then the triggering of the, the moonlight is kind of the what moonlight. stops the, the night he, he kind of walks mm-hmm. around the area where the moonlight's hitting to try to continue mm-hmm. the fight uh, and they kind of hinted at that too when they were giving him that portent mm-hmm. they were like the moonlight is the key or something they said some shit like that and so it kind of made sense that he could fight with using the moonlight as a shield or whatever yes and yeah it was a, a wonderful sequence 
And then beautifully choreographed. Yep. And just visually stunning. Yeah. And then he defeats the knight. But then after he defeats this it. This is why I said it, all, it also reminds me of the Green Knight because the Green Knight did the same thing with a very similar character. And then Psych, it's, it never happened or happened in our head or happened in a different dimension. I don't freaking care. It didn't happen. They restart the scene. And in this second time, he reaches for the blade and he's able to take it. Yep. And then that like, you know, knight or whatever crumbles and you're like, oh, but then there was an enchantment on the sword because he couldn't use it in the daytime. Couldn't use it during the daytime. Couldn't unsheathe it in the daytime. Couldn't unsheathe it even when he was like in the shadows. There was a moment where he struggled to try to like pull it open and he couldn't. So, yeah, he had to to use it in the moonlight in the moonlight. Yeah. I think the only time he could, though. Was when he was about to die. When he was about to die. And that's when he was at the gates of hell. Yeah. The volcano base. It was still daytime and he was able to unsheath that sword. Yeah. So, yeah. So. That was the most interesting thing it about was. the movie. You know. Him and the enchanted sword and like getting been, it. and cool to that like was the best see a little bit more of that or you know yeah if if you're really going into like enchantment because it and, felt like very classic excalibur yeah. kind of thing and we're all familiar with that story and i don't know they could have just done something with it like a viking excalibur like why aren't we talking more about that like what happened to this sword yeah that would get here cool to like who's get gonna more. get the sword now <laughs> yes who's who inherits the sword who's gonna go he, into the gates of hell to get the sword now there, <laughs> there you go all right. I think. All right. Anyway, I think leave. we talked a lot about this movie. Yeah, we've talked a lot about the movie. Uh, again, check it out if you want to. Uh, thank you for, you know, listening to us here talking about the Northman. We're going to go ahead and switch gears and yeah. we're going to talk about a different type of movie totally. right after this. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go ahead and talk about our second movie, and that is a brand new film starring Nicolas Cage, and that is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Jessica, tell us, what is this movie about? The IMDb synopsis reads, In this action-packed comedy, Nicolas Cage plays Nick Cage, channeling his iconic characters as he's caught between a super fan and a CIA agent. This movie is directed by Tom Gormican. Uh, written by him as well and alongside Kevin Etten. Like we said, it does star Nicolas Cage. It's alongside him stars Pedro Pascal, Tiffany Haddish, Ike Barinholtz, along with others as well. Uh, the movie itself, again, we mentioned it earlier in the episode, made $7.1 million domestically, $9.5 million worldwide. That domestic- good for fifth place. Good for fifth place. Jessica, how did critics and audiences receive this movie? They loved it. It's got an 88% Rotten Tomatoes critic score and an 87% audience score. The critics' consensus reads, Smart, funny, and wildly creative, the unbearable weight of massive talent presents Nicolas Cage in peak gonzo form, and he's matched by Pedro Pascal's scene-stealing performance. So... Uh, I'll go first with this one in just yeah, my go. thoughts. I think yeah. that this is a crowd-pleasing movie. I think that this is a funny movie. I think that it is, like 
it says it is creative in what it's doing. It, it's kind of lampooning, but at the same time honoring Nicolas Cage's career in a yeah. way. And <laughs> it is with Nicolas Cage at the center of it, which yeah. is something that I guess with time he's become more aware of how people are viewing him. Mm. You know, people view him in in some interesting ways nowadays like sometimes they think of him as a joke by all the weird movie choices that he makes but at the same time there is talent there you know not to you know play on the movie but like we ha- we've gotten <laughs> some movies in the last couple of years that show off his range and talent mandy pig last year and here he's having a lot of fun in this movie this is a fun role and I really enjoyed the fun and I do love the self-referential nature of the movie. The movie is kind of uh, making fun of premises that goes along with making a movie or talking about movies, uh, how we discuss them. I I really enjoy that aspect. What about you? What did you think of the movie? I'm going to have to echo a lot of your sentiments Mm -hmm. because I felt that it was very meta and meta is in. Meta is in. You are right uh, in a that. lot of movies and entertainment. It's fun to make fun of yourself and also know where you stand in like the zeitgeist. For this movie to come out now, I feel like it's trying to do kind of like a career resurgence for Nicolas Cage. And I feel like it just might get it because you do have those great films that he's done recently. And then you have this, which has mass appeal. I feel it does. I, I think it does. Although with a very hot star office. as well. No, speaking of box office, it's not like mass not appeal, best, but yeah. I feel like once this hits streaming, this is going to be all over TikTok. Watch. Oh, for sure. Watch. Oh yes. And it has a very hot star with Pedro Pascal in it. Yes. That is a man who is doing big things everywhere. Uh, Mm -hmm. He is, of course, the Mandalorian, so he's in the Star Wars universe. He was not long enough on the show, but (laughs) he was one of the best things on Game of Thrones as well. Um, And yeah, he's doing big things. He's going to be in a HBO series, The Last of Us, which is um, a video game, if you're not aware. One of the it's one of the (laughs) biggest games of the last you know, like five years, like this thing has been massive. HBO has called it into a show. And so that should be premiering pretty soon, if not this year, maybe next year. Uh, So, yeah, so he is big, just like you said. And I will say that I came in to watch this movie and I was very tired. I didn't sleep good the night before. So I did take like a 10 15 20 minute nap in the middle of this movie and came back ready to rock it was definitely a power nap and like finished the movie strong I think it was definitely entertaining I don't think I would say it's like 88% Rotten Tomatoes score like amazing but I can understand where people are coming from because Nick Cage is also an enigma And to capitalize on this man in such a way is great. I think someone else who could have done something similar, not in the vein of like action movie hero, but they could have done this easily with like a Bill Murray type person. I can see what you're saying. Yeah. And kept the title, the unbearable weight of massive talent and had it be more in the vein of 
comedy legend. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine that. And I I like this concept a lot. I like when characters, uh, not characters, when actors can make fun of themselves and know know about how people perceive them. And that's the what this movie has going for it. I completely agree. Uh, uh, so we already talked about Nick Cage, Pedro Pascal, uh, great stuff throughout. And it, it's funny that they say scene stealing because, yeah, there's a lot of moments where he's in a scene <laughs> with Nick Cage and he's the he's the funny one. He's the yeah. one really bringing the energy. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed that. And, you know, the cast is is good throughout. Uh, I don't think they... They use enough of Haddish and Ike Barinholtz. No, not at all. Because they, those two are very funny comedic actors. and It honestly not, could have been anybody. They're it not could playing have been, funny roles. No, they're not. They're playing kind of straight. Yeah. And I almost feel like they just could have given it to somebody else who's like on the up and up versus Tiffany Haddish and Ike Barinholtz. Like they didn't need to do this movie. No, they didn't. And unless they would have like made beefed up their parts with more comedy oh. you know if they would have done that sure cast them in the movie but but i think you have a spectacular bromance with nick cage and pedro pascal that you don't need this like straight laced cia agents kind of like on the periphery it just kind of brings down the movie to me like i did not give a shit about anything they said no <laughs> they were just they were just plot movers to be quite honest with you and it could have been anybody else yeah, it could have been anyone else. You are right about that. So I think, do you have anything else that you want to say about the movie before? No, no, no. Let's it? talk spoilers. All right. So uh, for a letter grade, if you're grading oh, the yeah. movie, uh, I will also, well, I would give this movie a B plus. B plus? B plus. Okay. Yeah. I'll give it a B minus as well. Yes. Is that also Same the, as the, Northman. Also the uh, 15 minutes that you missed when you slept? <laughs> we're gonna talk about um, spoilers for the unbearable weight of massive talent right after this the greatest trick houston we have a problem i am the father i see dead people the devil ever pulled pay no attention to that man behind the curtain was convincing the world you can't handle the truth he didn't exist oh what's in the box all right, so let's go ahead and talk spoilers for Massive Talent. That's how I'm going to shorten it from now on. And so the movie itself, just the premise, uh, Nicolas Cage is an actor who is trying to get back to his stardom, although he was never really gone is what he likes to say. <laughs> never Sorry. really left. Uh, but he is trying to find the role of a lifetime to kind of mm -hmm. change where his career is. Um, while he's doing this, he is invited at a $1 million rate to a <laughs> birthday party in Spain. And so mm -hmm. obviously he wants to decline it. But because he gets turned down for a role yet again, he decides not only to accept the offer, but also to declare I'm retiring from acting. So... He flies to Spain, meets Pedro Pascal's character. Uh, Javi is the name. I keep remembering. I am Javi. I am Javi. <laughs> and then he does his, like, it looks it looks like, I don't know what to. <laughs> the bowing. The bowing with it's the It's like a wuxia, like kind the, of yeah. bow with the fist to the palm. Yeah, it's, it's so funny. So 
Uh, side little plot that's happening in the movie is that there is a girl who's kidnapped who was the daughter of a president-elect that there's an election happening in, in Spain. And so that's a little side plot happening. So while he's there having a great time with Javi, the CIA snatches him up, lets him know that Javi's a bad guy, that the daughter of the president-elect has been you know, kidnapped and they believe it's on the compound that Nicolas Cage is on. So they hire Nicolas Cage <laughs> to be an undercover agent. And he goes around snooping, but still has to put up the front that, you know, he wants to be friends and it, it chaos ensues. But we'll, we'll get to more of that in just a bit. Um, I really like the self-referential nature of the movie. Obviously, they make a lot of reference to Nick Cage himself. You know, mm-hmm. they talk about his movies. I, the movie opens up with a scene from Con Air with that yeah. glorious <laughs> mullet of a hair that he has in that movie. Um, we get other scenes from other movies that just happen to be playing on TV. Uh, so it, it, little things like that. I love this. You know, I wonder if that's his life or if that's what it feels like to be a movie star. Mm. Where your face is just casually on TV, on cable you're waiting for things at the airport in different places and like you're there. That's your right. You're uh, on the screen. You're looking up and like they're showing face off on TNT. Yeah. 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 So it, it's got to be weird. It's got to be weird. It's got to be yeah. weird. Like the side note, like it's I have in the last like two months. Yeah. Every time I turn on AMC, one movie is playing a few good men. Oh. That's not even a joke. Like I have gone to AMC during the day on my days off. Yeah. I'll be flicking mm-hmm. around and what's playing? A few good men. And what do I do? Of course, I stop and watch. But cuz you can't handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> but can you, you ima- need me on that wall? Sorry, but, I'll keep going. But can you Go. imagine someone like Sidney Pollack who's in that movie? Lieutenant uh-huh. Weinberg. He's yeah. scrolling through TV and he like stops and he like sees himself like deliver the lines like if I had to pick you or your father for, to be that lawyer like can you imagine just being that person and you see yourself on TV it's got to be weird right but for someone yeah. like Nicolas Cage who's been who was at Everywhere. one point one of the biggest action stars in the world yeah like yeah it's got to be something else so I, I wanted I love that. it for for some reason I thought they were going to talk about his teeth a little more in the movie because I'm intrigued that he even made it in Hollywood. With that set of veneers. And actually, (laughs) if you look at the Oscar winning movie Moonstruck, I'm confused that he was even cast at all because his teeth in that movie are just, you know, this is what they put in dental uh, textbooks. (laughs) And I mean, I thought they were going to talk about his teeth. I feel like that's a topic. So I think... The thing uh, you, they talked about his different roles you know. and like how he like chooses his projects, like they allude to all this stuff, but they don't like talk about like getting hair plugs or like you know stuff like that. Right, like, that they were kind of kind. He was a producer on the Cage. movie. Yes, so I know that's part, and of I it. think that's why that they kind of didn't like go all in on Nick Cage. Right, exactly. They didn't go all in on Nick Cage. Um, <laughs> Something else they probably could have gone in on is obviously he is, I mean, he is a child of nepotism. You know, they could have gone into that. He is a, a couple. Co- he is a couple. But they, they said he did talk about changing his last name. 
Oh yeah, no, they he did. didn't. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They no. didn't talk about that. I'm but they did the make a I reference uh, somewhere in the movie where Javi is the one that is trying to like sell Nicolas Cage on a screenplay that he wrote specifically right. for yeah, Nick yeah, Cage. Yeah. And Javi's cousin, who's like the real mob boss uh, of the thing, he actually calls him Javi Ford Coppola at, at a certain <laughs> point when he sees him. So, yeah, a little wink at least. To the they don't really name. go into, but no, they don't. Yeah, the, the child don't. of nepotism. No, thing. they don't. And go I into apologize any of that, for like muddying the waters because I saw a video of Nick Cage talking about why he changed his name. Ah, uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I I like the dynamic of the movie, and I do like the self-referential nature that they reference what's about to happen before it actually happens in the actual movie. Because they're talking about making a script and it's got to be two characters and it's grounded and it's family yeah. drama and whatever. And then they introduce like this whole thing of what if we had a kidnapping and a daughter? And then they start referencing in the third act, you know, it becomes a blockbuster. You know, everybody loves it. And then that's what happens in the movie. Like it just becomes yeah. like a an action movie with guns firing and yeah. car chases. So um, let me pause you right there because you're coming up on when I fell asleep. Um Tell me how we got from Javi was the bad guy and he possibly had this girl on the on the compound and they were building this screenplay based on this, you know, meta because they're talking about what's actually going on in the plot of the movie. And then he's not a Javi's not a bad guy. Oh, my God. Wow. You, and you fell asleep at the plot twist. I'm <laughs> right after that, like. Like it started like they were tripping at one point, like yep. they took drugs yeah, and then I like fell asleep like just after that. OK. So, and I woke up, I think, right when they were trying to uh, bust in to like save the daughters. Oh, wow. You missed a bit of a chunk there. No, I got like a little before that. But you got know it. what I'm saying? Because yeah, I, I know see. like the wife was like made it over there with the daughter. Yeah. Um, she gets kidnapped, too. OK. So. But I like from that. You know the two places. I will, like, what I will, am I missing? I'll give okay. it to you. So, Perfect. Um, they're working on their script and everything. Javi thinks it's a good idea to fly his ex and his daughter over. Yeah, I saw because that. Because he yeah. does feel like there is some unresolved tension and that it's ruining the script because it's bleeding <laughs> into it. Uh, but he, the, the big thing happens when Javi gets called away and it's his cousin. Okay. The yeah. be, uh, bleached haired guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. And they start talking about what's going on in their politics over in Spain. It's like, you know, when the daughter of the thing, you know, uh, there's like another mob boss that like they t hear and talk about. It's like there's there's a mob boss who's uh, hasn't been seen in 15 years and he wants to yes, join forces I with us. I heard this part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, because now that the election's happening, we can get everything squared away. And Javi puts it together. Wait a minute. Did you kidnap the Did daughter? And he was yeah. like, yeah. And so so there, the audience learns Javi's not the bad guy. It's really yeah. his cousin, although he is part of the family, of course. So, right. but Javi is just like a but guy. But he's the Michael Corleone of like. Yeah, the, he's the Michael Corleone. You know, doesn't. Hero. Yeah, doesn't he doesn't really want exactly. Yes, he does accept the money, of course, but he's secretly in love with Gabriella, who 
runs the olive agriculture business on the on the compound. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, so Yeah, I didn't know what she did. Like right. I missed that part. So and then did. you probably saw where like he tells him, Well, either I kill you or you kill Nicolas Cage. And so they go out. They I didn't see that part. Oh, you didn't see okay. So no. here uh the cousin almost kills Javi. And he's like, well, you you either either I kill you because I don't believe you or you kill Nicolas Cage because he didn't believe him that he didn't know that Nicolas Cage was working with the U.S. government. Right. He he was able to find out like through some sound device was recording him okay. um, when he was talking with the CIA. And okay. so then at the same time, Nicolas Cage is telling his family, stay in the room. I got to do something uh-huh. before. So they go and they ride out. They go to the clips. Let's clear our heads. Let's see how this third act is going to go. And they drive out there. They look at each other's shoes. They switch shoes because like they admire each other's shoes. Um, but Javi is like so like nervous because he doesn't <laughs> want to kill Nicolas Cage. And Nicolas Cage pulls out the golden guns that were at the statue like ready to kill Javi because he thinks Javi is the bad guy and is going to kill I his family. Good, that seemed like a good part. Oh, it was a good part. And so like, they're like, just like, what do you mean? No, I, that's not me. I'm part of the family. Of course I can't leave the money away and all that. And, but then the cousins, uh, henchmen come out of nowhere, start shooting at them because so they got to team up. Yeah. Because he probably realized that the cousin wasn't actually going to kill Nicholas cage. So, so th- yeah. now they're on the run. And the henchmen start chasing them. And just as uh, they rescue. Yeah. So they go back and they rescue a couple. <laughs> they rescue the mom and they yeah. rescue Gabriella. The daughter was taken. Right. That's when I jump back in. You jump there. back in when when they go to the monastery. Yeah. Because the I remember the, my, the wife's. Yes, exactly. I yeah. remember that. So now wife. you're caught up. Now you got yeah. the rest of it. And actually the wife I really liked because she was from Game Night. Yes. She is from I Game Night. I loved her in Game Night. She's and she great. was really good in this movie She as well. was. I really. Okay. So here at the end, I really love this moment where, you know, they're at the embassy and uh-huh. the guy has. Oh, they switch. I love this. Yeah, they, oh. <laughs> the so Demi Moore, great. Demi Moore just showing up as the new ex-wife <laughs> in the movie version of what happened. In the movie version. Oh, the it final was product. so funny seeing just yeah. Demi Moore and just completely. And of course, like she looks pretty, pretty bad. Like that's that's what bad plastic surgery looks like, fellas. Um, so, but it looks like Demi Moore. Like at the end of the day, you're like, oh, it's Demi Moore. It's Demi but Moore. It's not Demi here, here, Here's a quick thing. <laughs> you kind of like so, no. So here's a quick thing. <laughs> okay, uh, go. There's a new commercial um, that's out there right now that has Demi Moore and Mila Kunis in it. And at first, mm. the way they f- like form the commercial, it's AT&T Fiber. I, it's weird. Anyway, but – Apparently the the whole gist of it is that they're at like some high school reunion and the most admired alum, you know, like they're going to make the announcement of who's the most admired alum and they both stand up and start walking towards the stage, but they're looking at each other like, like, 
what are you getting up for? Like, what are you getting up for? Like, type of thing. And just as they're making their way on the stage, no, it's this other girl who, like, did, like, something with AT&T or something. But what what drove me wild about that commercial was, like, wait a minute, I'm they sorry. They were in the same class? They were in the same class? Demi Moore and Mila Kunis, what Bullshit. are we doing here? Bullshit. The difference in age, if you're talking about age gaps, we are talking <laughs> about a 21-year yeah. age gap between those two. Kunis is 38, Moore's 59. So, yeah, that. So, I just had to say it because Demi Moore has come up a lot in just my personal movie watching stuff or just watching TV. Again, again, a few good men. A few good men. I don't have cable, Rico. No, I know. I've never seen that commercial that you just described in detail. But, yeah, the fact that Demi Moore made an appearance was very just apt. So apt. It really was. Uh, and yeah, I, I think that this is a fun movie. And like you said, I think, uh, once it does become available on streaming, I think that people will gravitate towards it. I think like some of the crazy stuff, like the fact that he has his own basically eternal monologue with a younger version of himself. There's that one point he like makes out with himself. Yeah, he, he does. It's like, (laughs) he makes out with himself. Uh, Nicholas Cage, the younger version, Nikki is what he calls him. Nikki. Uh, he keeps like saying, we got to get back, man. And it's like, you're Nick freaking cage. And like yeah. all this stuff or we're Nick freaking cage. And, you know, trying to get back to the way things were and Nicholas Cage having that. Internal it's his struggle. ego. Yeah, it's his ego. And he yeah. having that internal struggle of, you know, his life as an actor versus his life as a father. Mm-hmm. You know, he's trying to connect with his daughter. Can't really do it because he's always like into his own thing. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you like this, right? And then just like continues to talk. Won't right. let his daughter. Because he's selfish. Yeah, he's, he's a selfish a narcissist. <laughs> narcissist who is driven by his ego. And it's about learning to, you know, somewhat overcome that a little yeah. bit to to be a better father. Uh, I do love the little gag of Paddington 2. The Paddington 2 gag was excellent. It really was. Wonderful gag. I l- and, and not to say Paddington 2 is a gag. I'm no, just no, saying no. Just in the context in of the, the movie, movie yes. yeah, when <laughs> the reference to it. Pedro Pascal is listing his three favorite movies. Yeah. Uh, Face Off. Uh, the second one was the uh, the one that Nicolas Cage was talking about earlier in the movie. I can't yeah. remember the name. And then after hemming and hawing, I have to say Paddington 2. <laughs> it's like, what? And then the, they watch it. And they watch it. And then Nicolas Cage is like crying, f- floored. With the movie. <laughs> and then they bring it back around at the end. It's like, no, you choose the movie. You choose it. Yeah, because he doesn't know about his daughter. Yeah, he doesn't know what his daughter's tastes are like. So he's like, you know, you choose the movie. And she says, Paddington 2. <laughs> great <laughs> and, moment. It's a great moment. In the movie. Pretty happily much ever after. Like that. Happily ever after. All right. So um, that I think that pretty much covers most much, of the movie. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, again, like... Some characters wasted potential completely. I do want to like shout out that cool. Um, I don't think it was underground, but he basically had a hidden fortress of movie memorabilia. All with Nicolas Cage. All with Nicolas Cage. And I'm just like, look. I, t- I literally drove like was talking talking to my sister about it and I was like if I was a millionaire 
I would 100% be buying up movie memorabilia like that. I'm paying top dollar for like the, you know, Jurassic Park vehicles and like crap like that. Like I would just be the same way as Javi is. Maybe not with like explicitly Nicolas Cage stuff, but certainly be in the same realm as that but it was like under lock and key as well like there was like security outside of it it was great yeah I liked it. it was it was so yeah i think that uh overall fun movie yeah. very fun yeah. movie very sure. enjoyable and and if you take a 15 to 20 minute nap in the middle of it like you don't you won't miss too much maybe it's just like one cool scene but like on the whole, I pretty much like picked it up. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and just tell people don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do a movie. that. It's so rude. I couldn't help it. I was like <laughs> sleep deprived. But you anyway, were tired. No, I, <laughs> I totally get it. All right. So with that said, um, that's pretty much a wrap on the two movies that we saw this weekend. Yeah. Uh, if you liked or even disliked either one of our thoughts on on either one of these movies let us know on social media uh you can find us on twitter instagram facebook and tiktok at always critic pod uh if this is your first time listening thank you for listening to us we really appreciate that go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app we're on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, and many more if you do like us go ahead and give us a review on apple Podcasts and spotify five stars goes a long way for us and finally if you are a fan of the show already please consider becoming a patron. It's a great way for you to get involved and show your support. You can check us out on our page at patreon.com slash always critic pod. So with that said, that has been our episode. I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this has been the always the critic podcast. Always the critic podcast.